We return this evening to our study in 1 Timothy 3. I invite you to turn there. Last time we looked at the qualifications for the office of elder. And tonight the apostle goes on to speak about the qualifications for the office of deacon. First Timothy chapter 3, we read the whole chapter, and then verses 8 through 13, our sermon text. First Timothy 3, verse 1, the God-breathed scriptures. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless." Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own households, houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. God's word. Let's ask for his blessing on his word tonight, shall we? Our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that you'd visit us once more in this day, that you, God, would draw near through your word, and that you would help us to know how your church is to be ordered and shaped for your glory. Acknowledge, God, that your church is a strange thing in this world, and that it is not by human wisdom that she can be organized We pray, Lord, for the wisdom of your word and spirit, and that you would cause it to be inculcated in us tonight by your preaching and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, people of God, the office of deacon is a glorious office, really is. Maybe we haven't always appreciated and elevated it, but it is a glorious thing that God has granted Men who are to represent his cause of mercy and compassion. I would, the, the, the form that we use at the ordination time of elders and deacons says it very beautifully when it says the office of deacon 
is based upon the love and concern of Christ for his own. This concern is so great that he considers what is done to one of the least of his brothers as done to him. In this way, our Lord identifies the needy as his representatives in our expression of sympathy and benevolent service on earth. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, thirsty, and you gave me drink, and so forth. Well, deacons represent that mercy of the Lord Jesus. It is a ministry of mercy, and it's a glorious thing. The word deacon means servant or minister. It's used at times in the New Testament in a general way about anyone who serves the Lord. But then it's used in a specialized sense about this office. You can find it in Philippians 1, where you have the elders and you have the the deacons, the ministers, the servants of servants. And so we want to look at this tonight, the qualifications that the Lord lays down for this office. And we notice four things in verses 8 through 13. We see the deacon's character, the deacon's test, the deacon's family, and then the deacon's reward. And let's look at those. First of all, the deacon's character revealed in verses 8 and 9, where we read, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And so, you know, just backing up for a moment, it's striking that the first thing God requires of deacons is godliness. Godliness. The first thing required of deacons is not that they be good with the numbers or have a degree in accounting or, or very good with their hands. The first thing required of deacons is godliness, godliness. Sometimes people have thought of the deacon office as being, you know, a little less spiritual than the elder office. Or, you know, the elders deal with people's hearts and souls. The deacons, you know, they deal with people's bread and utility bills or something else. You know, but that's, that's really a wrong understanding of what the deacon office is. Now, it's true that the deacons are given more of a, a calling dealing with, with physical needs and so forth. And it's true that the elders are given more of a calling of words, right? They're to speak, they're to exhort, they're to teach, they're to rule. But it's not that these are two different offices in terms of how spiritual they are or how much they represent Christ. It's that they're two different tasks. Elders are to rule and teach, right? And deacons are to minister the mercy of Jesus to God's people and even to those outside the church as permitted. So deacons are not called to have a great know-how about money. They're called to holiness. Holiness. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we have what could be called the institution of the office of deacon or sort of or at least precursor to the office of deacon because remember the apostles at that point they hold all offices in themselves the apostles do everything and when it becomes clear that some of the widows particularly the greek or hellenist widows are being neglected then the apostles say well okay those widows are not getting the distribution of bread as they should, but it would be wrong of us now to give the ministry of the word to give more time to that. And so the apostles say in Acts 6, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so you see already there that the qualification was not, first of all, they have great organizational skills or they're good with money, but the qualification is full of the Spirit and of Christ's wisdom. Why is that? 
Well, because the deacons, like the elders, represent Jesus Christ. They are his representatives and his ambassadors. The, the, the mercy that is to be shown in the church is not just you know, a little different sector as government mercy, but it's the same thing. No. The mercy in the church is specifically the mercy of Christ. It's to be a demonstration of our great high priest who looks upon us with great compassion. Remember one of the marks of the, the high priest was that he was taken from among the people. He knew the people. And then Hebrews tells us, we have a sympathizing high priest. Christ is human and he's suffered and he's been where we are. And he has a compassionate heart. And now Christ appoints men to represent his compassion. And deacons do also have to speak the word, not maybe to the same degree as elders or in the same way, but they're to distribute gifts to the needy with the words of cheer, the, the word of the gospel. So godliness is the main thing. Deacons must be reverent. That's the first thing. It means worthy of respect or honor, noble, dignified, serious. So deacons are to be those who's who are admired for their godly character, right? It's recognized. And there are to be people who, in that sense, are not flippant about life or frivolous, but, but they have this, this seriousness about their life. They realize the gravity. They, they tremble before God's word. They, they, not that they never laugh. That'd be no fun for deacons' meetings if they could never laugh, but that they laugh about the right things, and they don't laugh about things they shouldn't. They're reverent. And then it's followed by three negative traits to be avoided here. And all three of them are related, I think, to the idea of self-control or self-mastery. You have to be in control of your tongue, in control of your wine, in control of your attitude towards money. First of all, about the mouth. Don't be double-tongued, he says. Don't speak out of both sides of your mouth. The word is to be as good as gold. We know in our culture, right, trustworthiness and people's words often don't mean much. So we need an abundance of legal contracts, an abundance of attorneys to hold people to the contracts and uh, courtrooms and so forth. But as Philip Riken puts it, the word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the church. I like that line. The word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the church. Right? Not, not a Gehazi. Elisha's servant runs off to Naaman and says, you know, uh, some guys showed up. We need some of that money and, you know, robes after all. Comes back to Elisha, where you been? Oh, I haven't been anywhere. Yeah, that's a double-tongued man. Deacons need to be careful, I think, in how they speak. If we say to somebody that's in fear of a possible crisis, you know, don't worry, God will take care of you and we'll be here for you. And then the crisis hits and and the person's forgotten about, then it's a misrepresentation of the mercy of our great high priest Jesus. Speaking the truth. Also, speaking the truth when it's hard, sometimes deacons have to bring a difficult word and tell someone, whether inside the church or outside the church, that, that their need maybe is a bit self-induced and they have not been a good steward of God's things. They need to correct but John Cook in his little commentary also sees here the idea of not being double-tongued in the sense of speaking 
gossip about someone. He writes that the deacon must be discreet in all his conversation, not deceitful in his words, and not given to sharing gossip or betraying confidences. In his service, a deacon would be aware of private personal problems and situations that it would be improper for him to make public. Well, secondly, a deacon is not to indulge in much wine. He must be in control over that for obvious reasons, right? I mean, drunkenness leads to a lot of other sins too. But you could also, I think, be reminded that people in crises often turn to drugs and alcohol, right? Because they're trying to numb themselves or escape the reality or the pain. It would be a great misrepresentation of Christ if the deacons themselves were engaged in the same ways of finding comfort. No, a deacon wants to come and say to somebody, don't go that way. Christ is enough. He's a compassionate Savior. And then, not greedy for money. Remember Judas, the disciple of Jesus with his hand in the money bag. And there's been a lot of scandals over the years. I don't know if they involve deacons more often than ministers, but a lot of financial scandals in churches, right? Men who are greedy for the money. The apostle will say at the end of this chapter a lot of words about these things. In chapter 6, verse 17, command the rich not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, so forth. He'll, he'll call them in uh, verses 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what we want. Let a deacon be faithful. Now, let him set an example of being contented in the Lord, not greedy for money. But then positively, a deacon and his godly character is to be one who holds the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Mystery in the Bible, in the New Testament, doesn't refer to, you know, like we think of mystery today, like a mystery novel. The word mystery is used to describe that which you could not discover on your own, but has been revealed to you by God. In other words, the gospel. We, we, we read that at the end of the chapter, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, verse 16. And, and what is it? It's that God was manifested in the flesh, the incarnation, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The gospel is the great mystery. And a deacon is to hold that gospel with a pure conscience. Not to be one who just gives lip service, but one who believes this. Because how can a deacon represent the, the mercy and compassion of Christ if he's not wholly convinced of it himself? Reformed churches have not just the elders and ministers, but the deacons sign that form of subscription. Remember at, at, at installation service, they sign their name saying, we believe that our Reformed confessions do faithfully summarize the Bible. And if we ever don't believe that anymore, we're going to come tell the elders that we have a question or an issue here. But we're going to hold this word with a pure conscience. Cling to this. This is the true gospel that mankind needs. Paul says much in this letter about the conscience. And he warns about the seared conscience. Calls Timothy and Chapter 1, to hold on to the faith with a good conscience. There's nothing that diminishes our work more quickly in the church than an unclean conscience, an impure conscience. 
But the boldness and the strength and the joy of service depends, doesn't it, that our consciences be clear. Well, that's the deacon's godly character. Let's look secondly at the deacon's test. The deacon's test, verse 10. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Well, what's the test? At least one Reformed pastor insisted it had to be a formal test, examination of the presence of the elders and deacons about the man's character and his knowledge and so forth. Others have said, well, no, he needs to serve a trial period, maybe give him some of the duties of the deacon, see how he does. But, but the text doesn't specify what the test is, does it? It doesn't say how he has to be tested. It says that he has to be tested. He needs to be a man who has stood the test, right? That, that, that people can see in his life that he meets these criteria. The apostle gives some flexibility about how that is done, but maybe he simply means that here are the qualifications. Let his life first be proven to, to be aligned with these before he's installed. Remember, he had said that the, the elder was not to be a novice. He wasn't to be one who just became a Christian yesterday. And Paul's saying at least that much about the deacon. He's, he's first to have a life that's been tested in some ways. Now, I think some churches, you know, that are very serious about elder and deacon training, and then even sometimes follow it up with a, a written test, as it were, to see if they have the sufficient biblical knowledge now and stuff. There's much to be commended about that. But I think in our churches, we have often at least insisted that we judge men according to these criteria. And we, we should be tonight reminded tonight as a congregation that this is our calling. They are to be tested first. We are not to fall into the spirit of our age, you know, this, this idea that any judgment is judgmentalism. And we need to be nice so we don't make any judgment about anyone. The Bible is demanding of us a certain kind of scrutiny. And because they must be tested according to these qualifications listed here, we cannot push them aside due to frustration or to anger. Right? If, on the one hand, is the, the great fear that if we don't give everyone the office of deacon, then we're being judgmental, and that would be a, a wrong understanding. On the other side might be the frustration that occurs once in a while that somebody's causing so much grief, he's so critical, let's put him in office. But that is certainly not what's called for here. It says, first let them be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. God does not sanction the idea that, you know, let's put him in office, that'll fix him. Or he's not, he's not very involved in the church, let's put him in office and that, that will help. That's, that's, that's not what the Spirit calls us to here. We can certainly pray that those who need to mature would mature, but sticking them in office is not the God-ordained path. Now, as we look at these qualifications and test people, we need to be level-headed, I think. On the one hand, we recognize these these standards are high. We should carefully consider the matter. On the other hand, the standard is not perfection. We ought not to leave it and throw up our arms. Well, well, who then could do it? We can't have any office bearers. No, it's, it's a high standard, but not an impossible standard by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The Spirit is in the business of making men like this. This is what he does when he comes into a heart, right? And these criteria tonight are helpful 
in a lot of ways. They're helpful for us to, to judge who might be fit to serve, but they're helpful for the men in office to be reminded, I need to pray to be this kind of man. They're helpful as we pray for our boys and train them up to be these kind of men, but they're also helpful for all of us because really what's called for here is in many ways the same thing that Christ wants to form in all of us, godly character. So let them be tested, he says. And then thirdly tonight, we consider the deacon's family, not just the deacon's character and the deacon's test, but the deacon's family, verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Now, I think that the New King James I'm reading and some other translations are right when they say their wives, likewise their wives, but I, I should tell you that the word in the Greek is a word that means either wife or woman. It could just mean woman. And there are some who read it as the word woman, and then they say that Paul's speaking here about the office of deacon S, a woman deacon. Or some don't go that far, and they say, well, he's not talking about an office deaconess, but he's talking about a group of women who were the assistants to the deacons. And the reason some people go that route, well, there might be a lot of reasons, but the exegetical ones here might be that verse 11 begins the same way verse 8 did. Verse 8 said, likewise deacons, and now verse 11, likewise women. And so some say there's a parallel. So Paul's talking about another office. And, and interestingly, the, the qualification for the women is to be reverent, just like it was for the deacon in verse 8, reverence. And so some think because of these parallels, Paul's talking about another office. Now, I don't think that's the case for at least these reasons. Number one, Paul could have called them deaconesses if that's what he's talking about, but he doesn't use the word deaconess. Number two, it would seem odd that if deaconess was a separate office, that the deaconesses would only have this little bit of criteria or qualifications, and the deacon would have more. That would be odd. Number three, Paul goes on in the very next verse, verse 12, to speak of the wife, right? Let a deacon be the husband of one wife. So in context, he seems to be talking about the wife. And then number four, I would say, since Paul was talking about the qualifications for deacon, and in verse 12, he's clearly talking about the qualification for deacon, it would be a strange thing to insert suddenly the whole idea of another office without hardly giving any explanation at all about that. So for all those reasons, and probably more, I would say the translation wives is the right one. But now, having said that, that takes nothing away from the vital service of women. We spent some time, remember, on Romans 16 and looked at how many women the Apostle Paul commends for their vital ministries and assistance to the churches in Paul's ministry and in the congregations. And that's important. That's important to always remember the church would utterly fail without the service of women. And so I want to say that again as we're looking at offices that we saw earlier in Timothy are offices for men to fulfill. We don't want to downplay the significance of the women God has given. And here, I think the deacon's wife here is being singled out as somebody who's very important in the deacon's ministry. You see, if you ask why, why is there a qualification for the deacon's wife and not a qualification for the elder's wife? Well, we know an elder's wife is, is very, very important. You know, she plays a significant role, doesn't she, 
in his personal godliness and his ability to minister and so forth. But one possible reason that the deacon's wife has a qualification given here is because, especially back in Paul's day, though still today, it was a work that allowed for and required, the deacon work, the deacon service was a work that allowed for and required the service of his wife. Right, there are many places in Paul's culture where a man couldn't go or couldn't go alone. And a wife was a, a valuable help, right? Great help to him. In caring for the poor and needy, visiting widows and the sick and maybe the imprisoned. He needed the help of his wife. But that wife had to be a certain kind of woman, right? She had to be reverent. She had to tremble at God's word and be a respectable woman in that sense. She cannot be, he says, a slanderer. Right? God's concerned with the tongue of a deacon, but also with the tongue of his wife. She can't be a malicious talker. Actually, it's, in the Greek, it's the word diabolos. It's a, it's a devil. She can't do devilish things with her speech. She, too, if she's helping her husband, serving, she's going to know things about people. What is she going to do with that knowledge? Will she guard it carefully? Will she speak in ways that are loving and edifying? Thirdly, she's to be tempered as well. Spoke of the elders back in verse 2, not given to excess, but self-controlled. And then she's to be trustworthy, faithful in all things. So we see that one of the qualifications for the office of deacon in terms of his family is that he has a certain kind of wife. could be that a man is not eligible to serve as a deacon because his wife doesn't meet these criteria. I'd say it's probably a pretty rare thing to find a man who meets the criteria and then his wife doesn't. It happens. But often if the man is living a godly life right, then he has married a godly woman or by his leadership. She has become a godly woman. Not always, but often the case, usually the case, I'd say. And so, a deacon is to have this kind of wife, and then he goes on to say in verse um, 12, let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own household well. Mention that when, the, when it came up, that qualification under the eldership, it's not demanding that a deacon be married or have children. But it's assuming what's often the case and saying then that if they're going to labor and care for God's house, let it be demonstrable that they know how to care for their own family and their own home. Because life is of one piece, isn't it? We have suffered the foolishness in the civil realm of, of, of political leaders who are horrible husbands and fathers, and then they want to say, you know, that's just my personal life. That's between me and God or my wife and I. No, no, no. What you do with your wife and children has a lot to say about what you're going to do with the country, right? And so God says something like that too, right? That a man's home life does demonstrate something about his character in terms of how he'll serve in the church. So the deacon's character, the deacon's task, the deacon's family... Let his family be ruled well. Let him demonstrate that he's godly at home. And then finally tonight, the deacon's reward. 
That's verse 13. Excuse me. Yeah, verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes we're very afraid of rewards and incentives, right? Because we don't want to fall into works righteousness. The Bible holds out rewards, doesn't it? As encouragements to God's people. This section began in verse 1 with that encouraging word that if a man desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. And now the qualifications end with a word, maybe for both elder and deacon, but probably especially for the deacon, that those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Our God is aware, isn't he, that serving in office isn't easy. There's a lot of discouragements. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of, every office bearer would say, that they get put in a lot of situations that are outside their comfort zone. Right? Elders go on visits to people's homes, and they're always feeling the question, who am I to do this? Right? Who am I to ask somebody about such and such? And deacons, you know, finances, that's a personal matter. Who, who am I? Right? And so serving is not easy. And for deacons to decide how best to care for people, that can be very complicated and taxing. Subjecting oneself to the church's scrutiny and evaluation, to have your name put up for nomination or for the church to say, hmm, let me, let me evaluate you. I mean, that's, that's not always so much fun. And so the Lord knows these things. So what does he do? He says, let me encourage you. He says, at first, it's a good work, this work of office bearing. And he says at the end, oh, there's a... There's a good reward. There's a good reward. There's a blessing that's held out. As you put in the time, as you labor for the Lord, the efforts are crowned by God himself. You gain, if you serve well as a deacon, you obtain a good standing. The congregation honors your service. They're grateful for what you've done. And God, too, crowns your labors with his blessings and smile. And you gain great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. As one writer said, a deacon who knows that with the help of God, he's done his best, that he's fulfilled the ministry that's been assigned to him. He has then a good conscience before God, and he's emboldened to serve all the more, emboldened to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, he won't be hampered by a guilty conscience, but be, be emboldened to testify. And so the church is blessed. The deacon has this incentive and reward, and as he receives this reward from God, he's encouraged in his service, and he gives more of himself to the Lord. What a great thing it has to have godly leaders. I was thinking as, as our elder, one of our elders prayed this morning about what a blessing that is, right, to to see in the church men who are willing to serve and who can lead us before God's face in prayer or in whatever capacity God puts them and who give themselves willingly and freely. And I know that it's not easy for an elder to get up here and pray, at least for most of them. I was telling the elder that if I'm off of the pulpit for a week vacation, I'm nervous to come back. You just, I can't imagine what it's like for once every few months or something. It, it's, it's not easy. And deacons have things like that too in their service. But what a blessing to the body of Jesus Christ to have men who are willing to serve, who cheerfully serve, and who serve for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
And so as we consider these qualifications, God's saying, I want you to choose these kind of men for my honor, first of all. But as you choose these kind of men, you will be blessed as my people. When you choose a ruler after your own hearts, King Saul, not going to go well for you. But when you choose a man after God's heart, then you reap the blessings and the joys. So may God grant us the grace as, as things pop into our mind and criteria, we should ask ourselves, is that human wisdom? Is that the world's criteria I'm bringing into the church? Or is that godly criteria given me by the Spirit of God? And I think nowhere more, perhaps, that with the office of deacon, we have to sort out and ask, what are the biblical criteria for service? And in that, Jesus will be honored. And we will meet more and more, through his representatives, the merciful, compassionate heart of our great high priest. And we need him, don't we? We need the one who sympathizes with us sinners, who knows our weakness and frailty, who knows that we can't keep ourselves in the faith, who knows that we are a people who, like the disciples, are prone to fall asleep when we should be praying. We need a Savior. And as the deacons carry out this compassionate ministry, they're setting before us the Lord Jesus. And they're reminding us in times of great need and distress that our Savior doesn't judge us based on our personal righteousness. We we could have blown all our money through sinful ways, and yet the deacons come, and they still say, there's a way in Jesus Christ. The church doesn't throw you out. They come and they speak the truth to you. They call you to repentance. Or you could meet somebody who falls into great sickness and they feel like God's against them. And they come and they bring them the truth of the word and they show them God loves you. He's working through this trial for your good. The deacon ministry is a glorious display of the gospel. And each one of us needs that. Each one of us are blessed by that. And so let's be in prayer for our deacons and for our future deacons that God would, through Christ, manifest himself and their compassionate service. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for our glorious Savior. We thank you for his compassion. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you that he cares about widows and he cares about orphans. He cares about the sick. He cares about us and all of our needs. We thank you, Lord, for our godly deacons. We pray for more for future deacons. And we pray that you would equip and bless these men in their service. May we be blessed through them, and above all, may Jesus Christ, the faithful, compassionate one, be magnified. So grant it, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing number 536.